0: G'day, welcome to Church Online and we'd love to connect with you and uh, if we haven't met you personally at church yet, we'd love to do that. Please go to the website, follow the links at forward slash connect. love to touch base and just meet you face to face. I'd also like to give a quick promo too for an upcoming course that starts on the 11th of May. It's called Refresh. It's my latest uh, course that I've written that really is a journey into activating the potential of a renewed soul. And uh, we're very excited about this material. And really, the last few weeks that we've been hearing online, uh, starting with Clinton's message on the power of choice and free will, last week my message on following, and this week my message on faith, really begin to form out the core of what that course is about. It's going to be a six week journey uh, with a retreat in the middle. It's going to be a fantastic time to come together uh, for people to come and be prayed for, be full of the Spirit, and really go on a journey of what it means to be fully. Spirit Empowered. You can follow the links that you see on the, on the website, uh, or you can go straight to refreshcourse.com. Follow the links there and see more about the course and unpack what it's all about. Love to see you there. It's going to be great. Starts May 11. But today I want to talk about faith. And I want to talk about faith in a way that perhaps is a little bit new to what you've seen. I want to talk about the potential of faith, how it really works out. Because Christians often have a bit of a struggle with faith. And uh, what we try to distinguish is, well, what do I have faith in? And if we can't figure that one out, then we must boil ourselves back to what is a legitimate cause, and that is to who am I to have faith in. But let's just unwrap it a little bit more and take it away from the simplistic and look at the practicalities of what Scripture offers in regards to what we can have faith in so we can base our faith on something that's rock solid. I'm going to start in Hebrews 11, verse 1, where it says, Now faith is the confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Now, you can read that verse, as we often do in church world, and you can actually, with that modern translation, misinterpret quite easily exactly what's going on there. Because in the NIV, it says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for. So if I hope for something, does that mean that, well, I should have confidence that it's going to happen? Because if that is what we're trying to describe here, then what we're calling faith is, in essence, super hope. It's like hope on steroids. It's like hope, 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 hope. And and it it should happen if I have enough confidence in that. And that's uh, a way to trip up because often the things we hope for in this world uh, don't come to pass. And so if we mistake faith and hope, if we can't distinguish between the two, we can easily get quite tripped up because the resultant um, logic that comes from that is if the thing that we are hoping for doesn't come to pass, then do I not have enough faith? Have I not worked up faith in my heart to ensure somehow it becomes about me? It becomes about what I can produce. And yet the whole, the whole deal here is that's nothing to do with us. Where uh, Faith means I'm relying on God and what God can do. So let's just unpack what this this verse is actually saying in Hebrews 11.1. The word confidence that we see there, it says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for. That's the key. We need to understand what that word means. In the King James Version, it it translated as substance, that faith is the substance of what we hope for. And that's a better way to translate it. The Greek word is hypostasis. Hypostasis. It's a bit of a mouthful, but it was a, a lot of meaning. It was packed full of meaning for those in that context. Hypostasis, and there's another way of translating it as hippostasis, was a concept, it was a word that was around back then. It actually derived originally from uh, Plato and the Greeks, and they would use that word to represent both in an abstract way, like a thoughtful way, and a real substantive physical way, an idea of foundation. It says, uh, uh, hypostasis meant there's substance, reality, a firm footing. It's the, it's the foundation of what we have. You can stand on it, you can jump on it, and so on. And so the Greeks use this in a philosophical term to talk about the foundation of all things being who we would call God. It was, it was uh, an early reference to what is a deity. Uh, and, and so Jesus became for us and the, Greeks used to, the Greek Christians used to love using this word hypostasis to, rep, to talk about God. They would say, Jesus is our hypostasis. He is the foundation of all things. And so it became quickly moved over by the Christians to becoming a reference to who Jesus is, what God is in our life, and what God is in the substance of creation. So this is a deep word, substance, uh, foundation, firm footing. Uh, and so it's really saying there that uh, faith is the foundation of the things that we hope for. And so hope, in that sense, sort of springboards, jumps off the firmness of our faith. And so without faith, hope is just a house of cards. House Hope can just collapse because it's not sitting on anything. We're just making things up to hope for and nothing particularly may or may not happen. And it's, it's, There's no real, there's no substance to it. So it's saying here that faith is the substance, the things that we hope for, come from the fact that we stand on faith so let's begin to unpack this more and more because this becomes a crucial understanding this philosophy that works out and by the time we unzip this we begin to see hang on there's there's certain things that we should be hoping for but they're based on certain facets of faith and so let's have a look at let's just unpack for a moment the different types of things that scripture says uh, we can have faith in God to do, because God does all sorts of things, some of them spectacular, some of them invisible, uh, some of them quick, and some of them slow. And so what I want to do on screen is, is really bring up a diagram that talks about, and we've used it before in our church services, the, the different colors, the different facets of the sorts of things uh, that God does in our life and through us, and we can begin to grow our faith in those areas. So as that diagram comes up, I just want to speak to that. So there are four corners there, and you can start to see the X and Y axis there. And it's, uh, the, the Y axis says at the top, there's those things that are overt, the things that we can observe. We can say, wow, God's obviously done something there. Down below, at the bottom of that axis, is that which is covert. It's unseen. We can't really uh, tangibly look at something and point to it and say, wow, that's obviously something God did. But the person or the experience is, is nonetheless real, and it's happened. Uh, Over on the X scale, we see that which is sudden and that which is slow. So some things happen very quickly. They're they're instant, uh, such as a healing and so on. Some things are very slow, things like character development and being full of the Spirit in that Ephesians 5.18 way, where it talks about just uh, the the fruit of the Spirit being love, joy, and peace. Uh, Sorry, I think that's Galatians, not Ephesians there. And so you begin to look then at these different quadrants. And so if we go to the top and and to uh, the left on your screen, we see that which is overt and that which is sudden. So I've called them the things that manifest. So these are things like healings, revival uh, and those sorts of things. And these are observable and they happen quick. Um, we get very excited about them. They're excited people tend to gravitate towards them and so on. And this becomes a major segment of many people's Christian life. This is their experience. This is normal Christianity, is that which God manifests amongst them. But as we go on to the other side of that, which is overt, uh, we see the operational. These are things that are still observable, Uh, and yet they they tend to grow slowly. So here we could put in the gifts of the Spirit, for example. The gifts of the Spirit don't start big and spectacular. They start, like most things in the kingdom, a seed uh, that needs to be watered and cultivated and grown in our lives. So you have spiritual gifts, but those gifts need to be grown. And So Billy Graham was a gifted orator and evangelist, and yet he started by speaking to his mirror and getting good at preaching to himself, then a group, then a small crowd, and so on. Everyone's gift needs to be grown. So it's overt, it's observable, and yet it happens slowly. Then we go below that line into that which is covert, and we see on the, uh, on the right-hand side there is the reflective. And, and if we took the typical uh, Australian Christian person, the typical, if we did the stats and, and analyze the numbers, most of us would fit in this category. That, not, and, and not when I say most, I don't mean 50%, I just mean the greater majority of these four areas would tend to rest more comfortably in this area. These are the reflective ones. They, uh, the work of the Spirit in us is more about fruit of the Spirit, it's growing character and there's longevity and, and taking care of our soul and we, we're very much more contemplative about how we approach God and how we see God working in our life. And so it happens slowly and it grows over time and it's, it's covert, it's largely hidden, and, but no less substantial than anything that is observable. It's very real and it's very valid and required by Scripture. Then on the other side there, we see that which is sudden, but that which is covert. And I've called these things the eternal. So salvation, a moment of salvation, for example, when someone places their faith in Christ. That's an internal decision. Uh, It's not going forward physically at an altar call. Uh, That's not salvation. That's just a physical outworking of what someone's decision may look like. The decision's internal. It's faith. I'm relying on Christ. And so we see these areas where salvation and and spiritual deliverance and the adoption into God's family to be a child and a co-heir. These are immediate, but they're predominantly unseen. They may have fruit come from that, but the actual work is invisible. So this is an interesting uh, way to break up the different things that God does in our life through his spirit. And so we can begin to build faith that God will do these sorts of things in our life. Okay, that's fine. You've probably seen that before if you've been watching some of our stuff. But now let me overlay what happens when normal human beings like you and I gravitate to that which is most comfortable to our personality type. And I'll overlay here the DISC profile. And you may have seen this in your own dealings through life. It's a personality test. It's a very simple one. Uh, Some would argue maybe perhaps a bit simplistic. But it talks about four different types of personality. The dominant, the influential, the supportive, and the cautious. And you'll see how those personality types overlay very clearly uh, upon the different facets that we gravitate to or that we see God working in our life. And so you'll see on the top left hand side there the dominant. The dominant people there work where we would say the manifest work of God is. And you'll see people who have this dominant personality type, who they're the, they're the extroverts and the task-oriented ones. They'll be going for it. They'll be going for miracles. They'll be going for salvations and revival and all that extravagant stuff. And, and, and that's almost like it's a project. It's almost like it's a task. Let's get there. Let's push forward and so on. Interestingly, if you do the stats in Australia, the personality types that would fit that segment are only about 9%. And and the predominantly uh, balance there between male and female is that more males are like that than females. And so what that would say is, if we're working with God, only 9% of of Christian people will feel in their comfort zone working in that area of life. That's why you'll only see a small sector of churches, for example, who will focus and see this sort of stuff as their predominant exhibition of what it looks like to have faith in God. uh, Because it will attract people of that personality type. More into that in a moment. Then we see the other sector on the other side there is the influential. Uh, uh, they're people who are uh, outgoing, and yet they're people-oriented. And these, they gravitate more, more easily to the spiritual gifts and so on. Then below the line, we see the supportive. These are the more reflective people, the introverts, you know, the, the normal people who just like to chew on the Word of God and so on. They're the quieter types. They're still people-oriented, uh, and yet they're more reserved than outgoing. And then on the left, we see how the DISC profile describes those who are called cautious. So they are more task-oriented than people-oriented, but they're more reserved than they are outgoing. So they're introverted and task-oriented. Normally, we would call them the melancholy types or or those who just like to get, get in and just do the job done on their own with no one else around. And so what we find in church world, in Christian world, is that people of these different personality types will more naturally find themselves exercising faith in an area that matches their personality type. So as I said, 9% are dominant types. And it's a fairly even spread of the other three, say about 30% each. Oh, Does that work out? 25 to 27% each of the other ones uh, that will uh, gravitate to those other quadrants. I think my math was out there, but you get what I'm saying. And so this then begins to have implications because what we're saying there is that uh, people are gravitating from a, in what the Bible would call their flesh, their personality type, their brain function, the way that we are in absence of the influence of the spirit, the natural us. We are working and having faith more naturally for areas that suit our personality type. And so what that means is uh, those of us who would uh, gravitate to one segment more than the other. We can't viably say that is true, encompassing spiritual maturity. It's following the Spirit, sure. It's having faith uh, and working with the Spirit in that area. And yet there is more for us to work in. And for us to engage in all those four quadrants requires us to have faith and the Spirit to take us beyond what our flesh can do, what our flesh will gravitate to. Because if we look, for example, at the life of Jesus, where was He on these quadrants? He was dead center, and not only dead center, He, was, he was, had a big radius in the whole lot. So He was very happy to work in power and miracles, very happy to reflect with God, very happy to operate in the gifts of the Spirit and, and so on, work in deliverance. So He was operating in all four areas all the time. When it comes to the disciples, we will find that their personality type gravitated to one or the other, but the, the group the, group, the local churches that sprang from them. There was a very even mix of all those facets working within the fellowship. So a healthy fellowship uh, and healthy Christians should have themselves working closer and closer to the center and then growing the radius, I guess, of, of expanse of where we work in those gifts uh, as we grow through our faith. And so we're called to grow our faith. Remember, we're talking about faith. We're talking about uh, hypostasis, the foundation of hope. So we're saying, how do I grow my faith in these different areas? Because Romans 8.29 says that we're called to conform to the image of Christ, not the image of ourselves. So we're called to come closer to the center and grow in our influence. 2 Corinthians 10.15, Paul says a very interesting statement. He says, our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, our sphere of activity among you will greatly expand. So as, as our faith grows, that the sphere, that circle gets broader and broader in what can be done. So what does it look like to grow our faith in these different areas? This is a, the million-dollar question. Well, let's return again to this whole idea of hypostasis, the, the foundation. Because only as the foundation of our life grows uh, will we see more and more access to all of these areas. Because as I said, we're going to gravitate to one side or the other. But what I've found in practice, as I've seen uh, countless people, I think, grow in their faith over the years, to do that healthily, There's a certain sequence, a circular journey, that really is beneficial to go on. So a sequential growing of these four areas, as you can see on screen now. So let me break these down a little bit for you, because faith is a foundation. It's something to be built on, so we need to build that foundation. We need to build faith upon faith. Okay, we'll start by talking about number one, saving faith. And we're down in the bottom left-hand quadrant there in the eternal aspects. And we're talking about that sort of faith which matters for eternity. The fact that I place my faith in Christ for what He's done, that His death on the cross paid the price for my sin that I could never pay for myself. I'm relying on what He's done. That's faith. I'm relying on that uh, for access to God. And so that faith is an eternal aspect. It says in Acts 16, 30, 31, it talks about this sort of faith when the the jailer of the Philippian jail there, when he sees a miraculous thing that God's done, he says, you know, what must I do to be saved? And Paul says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, a great translation in the New King James. Believe on, in in other words, lean on, rely completely on what Christ has done. And this brings adoption to our lives, uh, into the, the family of God, salvation and so on. A great uh, obvious, uh, and for many of us, what feels like our first step of what faith is. And so we want to grow in this area, obviously, as well. We begin with faith and we need to go on with faith. But we need to make sure that that salvation, Paul says, work that salvation out. Grow that salvation uh, as we go through life. In other words, um, let that freedom that you've just gained grow and let it apply to all the different facets of your life as we go along. So that's number one, saving faith. The second one, as we go along to uh, the reflective side, is what I call secure faith. Now, secure faith is where those who are reflective love to dwell. It's where I find my security in the sufficiency of God. It says uh, I'm I'm unshaken uh, regardless of the circumstance. Paul says in Philippians 4, he, he lives from this type of faith and he says, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to, to have plenty, but I can do it all through Christ who gives me strength. He's saying I'm relying and I'm secure and I'm okay, regardless of the storms of life, because I have secure faith. He says also that uh, in those moments where he just wanted his physical body healed, but, but God never really seemed to do that for his own reasons. And he said, my grace will be sufficient for you. He was taking him into the realm. He was giving him an upgrade to say, hey, let's live from a sort of faith where you're secure no matter what. That way, it doesn't matter what winds are blowing, what ill health comes upon you, you're going to be and feel okay. So that's secure faith, number two. And then thirdly, we go into the area of Sent faith, and so now we're in that which is observable, but that which grows slowly. And this is a faith where we, where we are relying on God as we go. He's sort of, he's pushing us along to do His work. This is why it's in the area of the spiritual gifts, and those who know what it, is, it feels like to work under the anointing of God. And R. T. Kendall says that the anointing is where the spiritual gifts work easily. It's saying that the obvious presence of God is there. And as we rely on that, He physically and, and spiritually pushes us along in the area of our gifting to do and to say and to hear what He's about. It's a wonderful journey when we do this. And those who uh, live in this sort of space who are, who are drawn to that as they grow in their faith, because Paul says, you know, we grow our gifts in proportion to our faith. Uh, it's just a wonderful experience to, to see God do what only God can do. And yet, for some reason partner with us in our own frailty to do that. And so it's working under that anointing with ease. It's, we see that that sentness that being pushed along, you know, in an iconic form when Peter walked on water, he said, he said, you know, Jesus, if you will, you know, let me walk on water. And and there's this whole idea of the sent thing is that we sense God's call uh, to, to do something. And it really is a real a matter of I'm responding to what he's doing, I'm hearing what he's saying. And I'm following what he's uh, what he's doing there, and so uh, the fact that Peter sunk, you know, that he took those first steps, but then he failed, really shows us the potential frailty of working in this area. And that's why these areas are built one on the other, because it's in this area where we're being uh, operating in sent faith that things can get a little bit shaky for us if our faith fails. So we've got to build our faith on the fact that we are secure, that we are saved. And so these foundations grow in these layers because if it it does go pear-shaped as it did for for Peter on the water uh, and Jesus says, where was your faith? Uh, He can still be okay. He doesn't have a crisis of belief. He doesn't lose his salvation or walk away from God. No, because he's got those other two layers of faith that are the firm bedrock. Hypostasis. See, Faith is the the hypostasis, the substance on which our hope is based. And so if something fails in these higher levels like that, we can come back and rest on the foundation that we have. I'm saved, I'm secure, and I'm being sent as well. But if we just try to operate from that sentness without salvation, without security, then it can all go pear-shaped pretty quick. The thing here is to recognize that uh, in this area, is to really work and respond to where God is actually working and saying. So this isn't an area of assumption. We're not doing and saying what we haven't heard God say. You remember Jesus when he was on the temple and and Satan said to him, jump off and God will save you. And Jesus responded by saying, uh, you know, don't put God to the test. And what he was really saying there was that, uh, I don't jump off the cliff here because uh, I know God will save me. Uh, Because God hasn't told me to. And God hasn't said uh, that that's the way it's going to roll out. What the devil was putting before him was assumption. And sometimes we can work off assumption and call it faith. This is where uh, hope gets derailed sometimes because we might read a scripture of, of Peter walking on water and go, well, if Peter did it, we can do it. It's in the Bible. Why don't we apply that? And that's actually come undone for people in the past and it had had devastating effects. And people have had their faith derailed. Lives have been at stake over this sort of thing as people have misappropriated the text and said, well, it's there for me as well. But God hasn't told them to do that. He told Peter to do that. If God tells you to do that, then he can take it to the bank. This operating in the sentness really requires us to be hearing his calling and responding, to work under that pushing of the Holy Spirit to go that way. So it's a very interesting phase and it can only be grown on our salvation and our securedness in God. But it's an exciting place to live and it's a sequential way to grow our faith. Then we finally get to the last one. And uh, this one I've called, and please don't uh, write emails to me about this, but it actually sort of works, is SpaceX Faith. SpaceX is that company that run by Elon Musk that's launching rockets into space and doing amazing things. But he's also having the odd failure, if you've been watching him on uh, YouTube and so, where he's testing the rockets and as they come down, uh, at the time of this recording, three of his big rockets have exploded in, in the last month or so. He's trying to break through. He's trying and promise that he's going to do great things. And Sometimes he gets there, sometimes in the process of learning to do that, it goes pear-shaped. And so this is what SpaceX faith begins to look like. And remember, these these three elements of faith, uh, sorry, this area of faith is built on the three that went before it. But this is the sort of faith that has belief for, you know, extravagant miracles, extravagant healing, salvation for nations at a time. It's launching out. And and I'm sure God smiles on the the audacity of the believers who just say, God can do anything, let's go forward. And it's, it's SpaceX faith. And yet he may not have directly said or promised that he's going to fulfill the thing that we hope for. So this is where we begin to bridge from faith now into hope. Okay, so you can start to see that Uh, Faith is the substance of the things that we hope for, the foundation. So now this SpaceX faith could be better described in some ways, as hope. It brings results. There are times where we literally launch into hyperspace. There's, there are salvations, there are you know, citywide, nationwide revivals that happen because people have just launched out and they've just struggled with God and said, God, you must do, God, you must do it. And many of us will sit back and question their methods, question their theology, and yet God just loves faith in people. But that, if, if that's the only type of faith that we have. And that if that faith doesn't come through, that's when it's a house of cards. And so we need to have the foundation, hypostasis. Faith is the substance on which that type of hope is built on. And so if the things that we hope for don't happen, we can still have faith that He will send us. If He said it, we can take it to the bank. If He grows our character, we are secure and He's always our sufficiency. And, uh, And even if we don't feel that sometimes, we are always saved because we've placed our faith in Him. And so this is the sorts of faith that we can um, all have the right to grow in. We're all expected to grow in. And And as we grow in faith, we're supposed to come to the center and grow in all of those areas. Remember what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10, 15. Our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, our sphere of activity among you will greatly expand with it. And so saving faith, secure faith, sent faith, and SpaceX faith. Uh, I hope you're growing and challenged to grow in all those areas. What do you need today? How secure are you in the sufficiency of Christ? If nothing else goes well for you today, do you still have that joy of the Holy Spirit in being saved and having all your real needs met? My grace is sufficient for you. How long has it been since you felt felt sent by God, pushed along by the Holy Spirit and seen some incredible thing happen that you can never manufacture in your own strength? Or have you launched out in SpaceX faith lately, just grappled with the heavens and and longed to see something incredible happen for the sake of God and for the kingdom? They're all endorsed by Scripture. They all had their correct place, one built on top of the other. So my prayer for you today is that faith would grow. And if you join us in the refresh course coming up in a few weeks, we'll, we'll press deeper into all of these areas and give you the pathways and how to grow in them better. So bless you now today, and we look forward to seeing you in church in person soon. Bye for now.